0: Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member exclusive health policy newsletter, the Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Under section 204 of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, also known simply as the CAA employer-based health plans must submit certain information about prescription drugs and healthcare spending this data submission is known as RXDC reporting and we have discussed it a few times here on the healthcare happy hour during yesterday's compliance corner webinar nabip compliance corner members barb gerkin and samantha maliver discussed rxdc reporting who is responsible for this reporting and how to maintain compliance. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, we are providing a snippet of the 60-minute webinar. But RxDC reporting is not the only topic that the compliance gurus covered. We are just a few weeks away from the official end of the public health emergency that was prompted by the pandemic. What happens when the emergency period ends? Watch the rest of the webinar on nabip.org to find out. Today's presenters are Barb Gerken and Samantha Malver. With over 35 years in the group health insurance market, Barb Gerken is Senior Vice President and Director of Client Innovation and Employee Benefits Compliance at First Insurance Group. She's responsible for agency and client compliance with state and federal regulations affecting employee benefit programs. Samantha Malver leads the compliance consulting team at One Digital as Vice President. She has over 13 years' experience advising employees, employers, on compliance responsibilities by partnering with benefit advisors and employers to create and develop practical compliance solutions for employee-sponsored benefit issues. In addition to working directly with employers and consultants, she regularly conducts compliance webinars internally and externally. So please join me in welcoming today's presenters.
1: Thanks, Dan. So today, me and Barb are going to cover a variety of kind of hot topics. The first one I'll cover is the prescription data or the RxDC collection process. And then we'll move into the COVID-related emergencies. So discussing the public health emergency and then also the national emergency and what those mean. So specifically how it impacts group health plans of certain, tolling certain health plan deadlines, the Medicaid unwinding, uh, group health plan coverage or plan coverage of vaccine testing treatment of COVID-19, and then telehealth flexibilities. And then we'll round out with new uh, updates on gang clock attestation, and then finally touch on air ambulance. So I'll start out with the prescription drug and healthcare spending report. I do want to note that if you want to go a bit more in depth on the RxDC report, you can watch a previous compliance forum webinar that Barb actually hosted back in November of last year. So it's on, on demand on the website. I believe it was held on November 18th of 2022, and that still has a lot of great information in there. I was just going to cover kind of an overview and what's a little bit different with this round two go around reporting. So as an overview, the RSDC is a data collection that was authorized under Section 204 of Division BB Title II of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Some may also refer to this as the No Surprises Act. It had a lot of transparency requirements within that massive piece of legislation. So the RxDC report, it applies to group health plans, so it includes fully insured and self-funded. It also applies to health insurance issuers in the individual, student, small group, and large group markets. And then finally, federal employee health benefit carriers. It does not apply to account-based plans such as HSAs, FSAs, HRAs, also short-term limited duration insurance plans, or accepted benefits. RSDC, although it is prescription drugs, it's not only about prescription drugs. Other topics included in the data collection report is average monthly premiums, and those are separated out by members or employees and employers. Also spending on healthcare services, which is separately spent out for hospital, primary care, and specialty care, it's gonna be looking at prescription drug spending, utilization and rebates, fees and remuneration, and then also the impact on prescription drug rebates on premiums and cost sharing. CMS collects this information on behalf of the agencies or the departments, I should say, which includes the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Labor and the Treasury Department, along with the Office of Personnel Management. And the system that they use to collect this information is known as the Health Insurance Oversight System or the HIOS system. So continuing on with kind of the overview, the purpose of it, as I mentioned, is transparency and healthcare costs by collecting and analyzing paid claims data. So most health plans, as I mentioned earlier, are required to report online to CMS. It includes all size employer groups. There's no differentiation if it's a small group or a large group, and it includes insured and self-insured plans. It also includes grandfather plans under the ACA, church plans, and then non-federal government plans that are subject to the Public Health Service Act. General information from a health plan that needs to be reported, thinking first off, kind of information about the plan in general, identifying information. So you're gonna need the plan name, the plan sponsor, tax ID, an ERISA plan number if there is one. It's also looking for average enrollment in health in the health plans of those life years. If the plan is insured, looking at total premiums. If it's self-insured, looking at premium equivalents. And then it's gonna be breaking out the average premiums or the premium equivalents paid by the employer and the member or the employee. And then it's also looking at prescription and healthcare claims paid over the calendar year. They're looking at reference year, so when they say reference year, they're looking, they mean the calendar year. What's note is that not all this information is gonna be available from one entity, especially employer groups are not gonna have this information all on hand. So CMS recognizes this and they allow multiple entities to report on the same health plan. And as I mentioned, if you want to know a little bit more about specifically what they're looking for, you can check back on that previous webinar. As I said, Barb did a great job of reporting on that one. So the first report was due technically at the end of December of last year, but it was later extended through the end of January of this year. So it was extended to January 31st, 2023. It covered data from the 2020 and the 2021 reference year and kind of what's different from the first go around to the second round, that's now due June 1st of 2023, is this requirement of average premiums paid by the employer and the employee. And then going forward, this is an annual reporting requirement. It's going to be due June 1st of every year. So generally, who's going to be reporting the data? Mostly insurance carriers are submitting it on behalf of insured plans. Some ASOs may be submitting it for the self-insured or the level-funded plans. A lot of TPAs are submitting for self-injury plans. This could include the uh, pharmacy benefit manager's prescription info or the PBM may be submitting the prescription data separately. Like I mentioned, multiple entities can be reporting on behalf of one plan. Things to note and things that we have been seeing is that the carrier TPA or the PBM may actually be charging the employer for this filing, so they should be aware of that. And then the other thing, the big thing is if the entity or the other vendor is telling the employer that they themselves need to file some or all of the plan information or the claims data directly to CMS, that they're not going to be doing it on behalf of the plan. Rather, it's going to be on the onus of the employer or the client to do it. So the general information that is often being requested from the client, from the carrier, of the TPA, is usually the health plan information. So the stuff that they likely will not have on hand. So thinking of the ERISA plan number, if they have it the premium or the premium of the or the total cost for the previous, for the 2022 calendar year, and then the breakout of the average premiums of the employer and the employee for that year. So from a kind of consulting perspective, what we have seen and what I encourage you is to be looking out for communications from these vendors, these carriers, they may be sending or they have already sent surveys or questionnaires to collect this information on the plan numbers, premiums, funding types, et cetera and the purpose of which is so that they can report that P2 and the D1 data on behalf of the client. Alternately look to see if they're sending something out that says no, the client needs to create the HIOS account and that they will not be submitting the P2 or D1 on behalf of the plan, which means then the client is going to have to submit it directly to CMS either via themselves or engaging another third party to submit. What we've seen is most likely that the fully insured carriers will be submitting it on behalf but the big thing is that they've put in these deadlines and it's a self-imposed deadline that the carrier's putting in. It's not the same one as the June 1st one. Um, so I just encourage you to see it, to check to make sure reaching out if there are any deadlines, because they are hard and fast. They may be strict to say that if you do not hit that deadline, then the employer will be responsible for filing those data elements on their own. And another thing that was a bit different from the first go around that was that there was some relief that was provided that if for the 2020, 2021, if like the plan only had a submit plan list, premium and life year data, so basically just the D1 file, they didn't have to create a HIOS account. They could do it via email, they could send it. However, that relief was only available for those two reference years. It's not applicable for the 2022 year, but we'll see to see if there's any guidance, but right now they'd have to create a HIOS account. So on this slide, I just wanted to talk a little bit what else is different for the 2022 year? So for 2020 and 2021, there was some relief because the government understood that maybe the carrier of the TPA is not going to have this information, which was the monthly premiums. They didn't have to report on it last time, but now there is no such relief. So they do have to report on it. And so they're asking for this information from their clients. So just kind of as reference how they define it out, the average monthly premium is broken down to average monthly premium paid by the members and then paid by the employers. So for the premiums paid by members, you're gonna be looking at the amounts that the members actually paid, not the premium rate. It includes enrollees, dependents, participants, and beneficiaries during the calendar year. The average monthly premium paid by the employer, you're gonna be again using the amount the employer actually paid, not the premium rate. It includes premiums paid by the employer. Other plan sponsors on behalf of the members, premiums may be paid by a group trust or an association or MIWA plans. And then for self-funded plans, you're going to be using the term called premium equivalence, and that is the total annual claims cost, admin fees, stop loss premiums, network access fees, and payments made under capitation contracts. And then you would subtract stop loss, reimbursement, and prescription drug rebates, and then also exclude amounts related to the FSA, HSA, or HRAs. Uh, More of this information is in the instructions that are provided and we are looking for new instructions for 2022. So the data submission, I've kind of already mentioned it, is through the HIO system. There's the link on there if you have any questions. Uh, The deadline is June 1st of 2023. I was just on a webinar yesterday with RedShap to talk about they expect the HIO system to be ready to accept 2022 reference year submissions by mid-April of 2023. We're still waiting on 2022 instructions and templates, and perhaps maybe like last time where they waited till the last hour of any extensions of the deadline or any good faith efforts for reporting, the ability to make any email submissions or any grace periods. So now I'm going to turn it over. I'm going to talk about the kind of emergencies that were applicable to COVID-19. And the first one I want to talk about is the national emergency. Um, and Barb will talk about the public health one, but there are two main COVID emergency periods that related to the pandemic. The first is this national emergency, um, and the other one is the public health emergency. And both of these impact group health plans in different ways. So with the national emergency, this is kind of what you may have heard of with the outbreak period, and
0: it's really dealing. To hear the rest and to watch the full webinar, go to nabip.org. That is nabip.org under membership resources, under publications and webinars. Thank you for joining us for NABIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.